It's time for Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. Brought to you by Rikus Baird. And now here's your host, Ryan Rikus. Welcome to Branding Business with Rikus Baird. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show topic is focused on the total customer experience. We're very lucky to have one of the leading authorities on the topic, Dr. Joseph Michelli of the Michelli Experience. Joseph is an internationally sought-after speaker, author, and organizational consultant who helps companies transform their workplaces with a focus on a total customer experience. His latest book, The Zappos Experience, Five Principles to Inspire, Engage, and Wow, was released in October 2011. His book, Prescription for Excellence, Leadership Lessons for Creating a World-Class Customer Experience from UCLA Health System was released in May 2011 and achieved number one best-selling status on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Publishers Weekly, and Nielsen BookScan List. Best-selling books include The Starbucks Experience and The New Gold Standard, which was written in collaboration with the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. Joseph, welcome to Branding Business. It's so good to be with you, Ryan. Thanks so much. Well, Joseph, I've heard you speak, read many of your books, and also brought you in to help collaborate in rolling out brands with some of our clients. And I appreciate the best practices that you share from some of these world's most successful brands, Zappo, Starbucks, and the Ritz-Carlton. So maybe as a way to begin our conversation, can you give our audience an overview of what you mean by the total customer experience? Well, I think that people talk a lot about service, and they talk a lot about products, and both of those are very important to the end outcome of a relationship with a customer. But ultimately, there's so much more to what secures relationships, and I think that's the ultimate outcome that we want is to form a relationship that builds customers that are emotionally engaged with us, that are willing to to share their passion for us by staying in business with us, and ultimately, they make ease of acquisition new clients available because they are out there talking to other people as advocates for our business. So when I talk about total customer experience, I'm talking about making sure you nail your products, making sure that you have a really clear branded identity, making sure that you serve people efficiently, quickly, and getting it right and making it right. And then ultimately, that last kicker in the ultimate customer experience is finding the emotional tone and finding a way to connect with customers in an emotional way that drives that emotional value as much as the practical value of your business. And that's the total customer experience, and it's something that's elusive to a lot of people, and and for some it's not even part of their strategy. Well, when we work with uh, clients and help them develop their brand, often uh, one of the most common approaches that they think will differentiate their brand is their ability to serve their clients. And yet service is kind of, in some ways, could be a uh, kind of an ante into the game. And uh, they don't really take the effort and spend the time to uh, clearly identify that level of service. Maybe you could give us an overview of how your approach takes that concept of service to a completely different level. Well, you know, I think it, 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 it ultimately starts with making sure you do have a great product. No matter what you're doing, you have to have a great product. And then it becomes what are the attributes of your service that are relevant to your customers and are you delivering against those? For some, it might be speed of service. For others, it might be accuracy of service. Um, so you could build a great brand, for, for example, in the fast food sector if what you did was predominantly serve it accurately and fast, uh, even if you didn't make any kind of emotional connection with the customer. You just got it right and fast. 
because you would be doing it maybe at, at a level that's higher than the competition. But if you really want to, to take it even up another level, you're looking at an experiential offering where you're, you're delivering against some of the drivers for satisfaction around product and service, and you're also connecting with customers around something that emotionally grabs them and build a unique relationship with them based on emotional states. And so, you know, obviously I wrote the book Starbucks, uh, the Starbucks Experience. I'm working with Starbucks on yet another book that will be released in 2013. And, and I'm involved with the brand. And one of the things you can see in that brand, in order to justify the price points, it can't just be great Arabica coffee. It can't just be quick delivery. It has to be something that creates that living room of the community, a hearty emotional connection with customers, and you have to execute against that. If you do that, you drive your price point up, uh, and you're you're able to to be a premium brand without having to just trim on margins. Well, great example. And I notice in in most of your books, uh, you reference B two C, and uh, as you know, we do a lot of the work in the B two B area. How is there any difference uh, as you apply these principles, uh, either to B two B or B two C? The principles are probably the same. The execution is vastly different. You know, the beauty about B2B is once you get in after a long courting cycle, it's also harder to get out. Uh, Normally you're a little stickier in the B2B. You also have multi-level clients in the B2B. I I always think of this B2B is not B2B, it's B to however many different clients are embedded in the business that you're working with. So you might have decision makers at various levels of an organization that you serve. They may have diverse needs. Um, so clearly, it's a much more complicated strategy, but generally, it's very similar. Once you, I mean, there's several strategies that, that, that I take in my business, and one of the first things we do is just try to improve the experience for all stakeholders and make sure that we're increasing the efficiencies, we're increasing the operational excellence across key touch points. But ultimately, where the action is, what builds the emotional connection is connecting it to the brand. So I love following you guys in. You guys are amazing. I've had the good fortune of doing that. I love bringing you in to brands that are not clear in what their emotional value proposition is because they haven't taken the time to do the research to understand the drivers of their brand. They don't have a clear brand promise either internally or externally. So what really works well is we have a clear brand positioning. People understand a brand promise. They understand what connects with their customers. And then we take that overlay of the brand and we build that into the efficiencies and the execution and the emotional connectivity of the brand. And we do that whether it's in the B2B or in the B2C. But, but I can honestly tell you, branded customer experiences, whether in the B2B or B2C, are differentiators in the marketplace. And it, it really is a very gratifying way to do business when you are not only trying to meet people's needs operationally, but when you're really caring about them and their success in their business venture or in their customer-consumer space. Well, I couldn't, couldn't agree more, Joseph. And, and you mentioned uh, the importance of research in getting to some of those customer insights. As we go through our strategic brand development process, we certainly like to do the same. Uh, look at the customer base, look at the, uh, the marketplace, look at the competition. And the reality is these insights can help us get a better understanding of the perceptions of the brand and identify either opportunities or limitations. And we firmly believe that the brand must be built from within. And when you do that, you build upon the current equities that are there, and yet we anticipate where the brand is going. And so we also find that the employees then are the ones that really are the ones 
who deliver the brand promise in the future. And yet, this is often the area where things break down. Uh, the employees don't have a clear enough understanding. Uh, sometimes ex uh, executives try to communicate uh, the brand promise, but they do it uh, in a very uh, superficial manner and not go deep enough. Any thoughts on how to get the em entire employee team aligned around this new brand promise? Uh, I, I just had the good opportunity to do that with an organization, and I can tell you it was just magnificent. So first and foremost, we had a great brand partner involved, and the brand partner really helped figure out what was credible, what was relevant, what was unique, and what was durable about the brand that could then be communicated that was that, that customers would permit the brand to be a little aspirationally. So it really was a beautiful amount of work that was done by the marketing brand partner, much like you guys. And then once you have that in place, then we went back to the employees and we said, before we go to market with advertising and spending a lot of time trying to sell people out in the marketplaces, this is who we are or where we're skating to, um, we want to make sure you understand it. We want you to understand that brands are not taglines and brands are not logos. Those are manifestations of brands. But in the end of the day, you can claim something out in the marketplace. And if you don't deliver against it, if you don't believe this is who you are or what you're about, then there is no way that you're going to be credible really trying to present that, and customers are going to have a disconnect. And I often use an example. You know, from many years ago, there was market research done looking at three office supply companies. One was Staples, one was Office Max, one was Office Depot. And they asked people, you know, really, without looking at the sign behind you or the bag from what you just purchased, which one were you in? And it was sad that the brands didn't differentiate. They were very much commoditized. People couldn't say with any real accuracy which of those three they had just experienced. So the brands went about doing all this market research, and they did logos and taglines, and Staples came up with that easy button tagline and really differentiated on easiness. But the question ultimately comes down to, are customers, when they walk into a Staples, having an easy experience? Is it so much easier to deal with Staples than it is Office Max or Office Depot? And I'm not here to say the answer to that. I'm just ultimately clear that you can claim it all you want, but if your people don't believe that that's what you can deliver and if your people aren't fully committed to delivering it, it's a lot of money to change that logo and that tagline and retrofit all your buildings to try to make that message be top of mind for your consumer. It gets top of heart when it's delivered to them, and they differentiate based on that. Otherwise, you're, they're going to be waiting for the Sunday circular to see whether or not you have a coupon, and they're also just going to make decisions on which is closer to their house. It's mm -hmm. not going to be a preferential choice for one of those three brands. Well, uh, as we work with clients, and, and the reason we are brought on is to help companies evolve and, and realize change. Yet, change within an organization is often the most difficult, uh, and people typically resist change because it's not comfortable for them. And you, you provide some examples of uh, organizations through research and uh, through also planning to develop a, a unique and new promise, but now those employees have to deliver upon that promise. How can you, how can you guide an organization to change? I know you, you help a number of companies with that. Are there any best practices that you can offer of how to really get these uh... I think it starts with you guys I mean seriously the brand partners um, I, I'll I just want to say something really kind about you Ryan because it's totally well, it's totally legitimate I mean I followed you in on a client where you had done all the brand work your team had done all the brand work and you spent a lot of time listening to the employees about what they thought was credible as well as the external uh, client base uh, you had to reposition that brand to have a broader market relevance 
Um, and by the time I came in trying to look at ways to make changes credibly to support a brand repositioning, people were so bought in to the rightness of the new position, they had felt so heard in the evolution from their old position to the new position, that when I came in and said, look, you're operating from this is your new position, how do we make it come alive? They're like, yes, let's make it come alive. So I think a lot of it starts up front with people credibly helping folks be a part of the brand reconstruction. And so they have an ownership stake that, and, and really helping them understand what the outcome of that work was so that by the time someone like me comes in and we're saying, let's, let's deliver that which you're about to promise, implicitly or explicitly. Let's deliver it. How do we make some changes operationally to create that at every important touch point in the customer journey? Man, they just seize it. So if you don't have a good brand partner in the first place, that's a challenge. If we walk in and that's not there, we have a lot of work to do to try to recreate a justification and understanding and a participation of employees. You can tell people to do something or you can inspire, inspire them to be something. And I think a great, great change is about inspiring people to be something that's going to make a greater difference for them and for the lives of the people they serve. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Joseph, and it's been a pleasure working with you as well on this. And, and it reminds me of uh, another thought around corporate culture and that uh, Peter Drucker is famous for his quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And a long time ago, we realized the importance of corporate culture. It's, uh, it's power, and if you really don't embrace the culture, you will not be successful in realizing successful change. And so we've had the, uh, the idea and the focus of trying to understand uh, corporate culture early on. And you spoke as well a moment ago about the importance of getting uh, the opinions of the employees and we also try to engage the entire organization with uh, a survey to get a better pulse of where the organization where they believe the organization's going what are the strengths what are the beliefs what are the perceptions and try to get an understanding of the culture and we go about that in a variety of different ways and I know that that's, that's um, something that you pay a close attention to as well any thoughts on how to uh, evaluate an organization's established culture and then how to work within that to realize success? You know, I work with Tony Shea, who's the CEO over at Zappos, and Tony and I have come to conclude, I think, that it not only, you know, culture not only eats uh, strategy for breakfast, but it probably takes it out for lunch and dinner as well, because <laughs> ultimately you can keep putting strategy in play, and it can be undermined by a culture that doesn't connect with the strategy. So you take a brand like Zappos, and the deliverable is not shoes, which most people think of Zappos as an online internet shoe uh, supplier. The outcome is happiness and loyalty, and for customers to say, wow, so everything has to execute in a way, either in speed of delivery that wows customers or the way in which the call center staff takes orders or the fact that a call center staff, if they don't have the product in stock, will actually send you to a competitor. Everything about the experience is designed to leave you saying, wow. And so that's the end result. And, and clearly there's 10 core values, one of which has to do with wow. There is constant talk about those values. There is selection of staff based on those values. Uh, one of their values has to do with being a little weird, for example. And in order to get even higher, even get an interview there, you have to send in a video cover letter. And that video cover letter essentially is going to show you, based on the way somebody presents in the video, if they're a little weird, which is what the culture is, or if they're just too flippin' weird to even consider, or if they're not weird enough to really be successful. And in the end of the day, this 
sense of culture should infiltrate your, the way you market yourself to future employees as well as to the marketplace. It should be the way you select for your employees. It should be your onboarding process. It should be the way you train. It should be the way you listen to your, your employees. Talk about pulses. Zappos does a monthly pulse with three questions all around the issue of happiness and whether or not employees are experiencing wowful happiness. Uh, and they're asking every month uh, how they're doing in terms of executing against their values. So I think at the end of the day, culture is so critical to this, but it's hard to define your culture without a real understanding of your brand. Your brand incorporates culture, and uh, it, the way things get done here is what the way culture is, and it should be the way things get done here should really be consistent with the brand you are putting out into the marketplace, the one that is different than the guy across the street. Well, I, uh, I appreciate your new book on Zappos, and I think it's, an, it's a fantastic example of an organization who has achieved tremendous success by utilizing uh, and clarifying their corporate values, these 10 wow values that you alluded to there. It's, it's very unusual to see an organization use their values, their corporate values, as a means to uh, really drive their strategy. And as you mentioned, they have a, a deep... Um, culture that's driven by the CEO and established thoroughly throughout the organization and, and certainly their employees embrace it deeply. And, and, and then their uh, daily actions are guided by these values. So I think that's a, a lesson that can be learned by uh, a lot of organizations and, and corporations out there. And do you also see, though, that it, it's a little bit different and unusual to use these values to, to guide an organization? Uh, like Zappos and with other organizations? <laughs> it's almost well. heresy. I mean, people will claim it all they want, but very few people really believe the following sentence. Your culture is your brand, and your brand is your culture. So to me, if you don't, if you don't fully embrace that as true, then what you have is a statement to the marketplace, which is your brand, what you hope people will believe about you. In the old days, we could advertise enough impressions on people's mind that they might even believe that's who we are until they do business with us, and then they might be disillusioned. Uh, employees come in, and they just think employer hype is all over the place. You know, you've got your employer brand, but it's, it's just what you want to do to lure people in the door. Once you get them in there, then you lock the doors and you treat them horridly. You know, that isn't necessarily the way it is, but people have a lot of cynicism that businesses operate from a value-based position or really have strong culture. And the ones that do, I mean, it's amazing. Zappos is one of the top ten companies to work for in America today, even though their benefit program is nothing like companies like Google. But they just don't, you know, they pay at the median. They don't pay anything as a premium. The same is true with the richness of culture at, say, Ritz-Carlton that I've worked with over the years. These companies aren't paying to get loyalty from their employees. They're building a culture where people really say there is integrity, there's a wholeness between action and words. Um, so suffice it to say, I'm a big fan of this. And I think, again, it's all part and parcel to having a good brand message that's consistent with your values and that your brand informs your culture and your culture informs your brand. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. Well, you mentioned Zappos and, and Tony Shea, and, and we're also a firm believer that the CEO should own the brand and that branding is a corporate function, not a marketing function. If it's relegated only to marketing, it will never be successful. And so with this in mind, branding is really about focus and then having the culture deliver that focus as, as you were describing it. And focus starts with vision, but we have found that many times as we sit down with CEOs or executive teams, they can't succinctly describe their vision or they can't agree upon one. They've got different opinions about it. And so 
by going through the brand development process, we help organizations clarify their vision and mission, but also we help them identify their purpose, which is arguably the most important statement of them all. It has the most emotional connection uh, to the entire internal organization and can be also very beneficial to uh, the external, the, the customers as well. And, and if it's done properly, that purpose has such an emotional connection that it's significantly bigger than any business goal and it's that deep connection to all the employees. And, and uh, I know Zappos has done a fantastic job there. We, we love Mary Kay's purpose, uh, bringing unlimited opportunity to women, uh, Merck to preserve and improve human life. Wonderful examples of a, a purpose statement that you know gets the employees charged up, fired up, ready to go to work and accomplish something bigger than achieve you know in the next month's or quarterly uh, dividends. So. Uh, any thoughts, uh, examples? Well, ideas? No, I think I think it is a long game. It is what inspires people. You know, I love Simon Sinek's TED video. If people haven't yeah. seen it, they should definitely see it. It's spelled S-I-N-E-K, but he talks about the powerful why, right? And the why we're in business. For me, it's not to create quarterly results. I've had enough profit in my life. I'm very blessed. I, I kind of hope I have profit next quarter, but if I don't, I want to live our purpose, which is to serve those who serve well. And, and I'm really, I'm kind of like you. We no longer serve people where we get a call from the marketing director or the customer service initiative person. Unless we can get a meeting with the CEO and the CEO is clearly behind it and it's not a lip service thing, unless we can look in the eye of the CEO and say, and, and interview them and say, why is it that you really want to move this forward? And if it's all tactical and it's not purposeful, we're not into it anymore. It's just, it's, it's bound to fail. And the employees know it too. Um, so we tend not to go into those places anymore. But I, I think that the, at the end of the day, people don't want to spend their life at work exchanging their labor for a check, and that be it. Uh, they want to be meaningful. They want to have lived lives that had merit and that affected other people favorably. And if you don't know what you're doing in that space, you certainly can't inspire other people to do it, nor can you build collective effort around it. And that's ultimately what makes it Zappa successful or it's Carlson successful, Starbucks successful, and any number of other brands that I've worked with over the years, um, and, and why they deliver extraordinary experiences that are branded. So do you find that this becomes the core of really moving an organization forward and getting that emotional connection that you were describing uh, internally understood? I just didn't hear. I didn't hear the last part of the question. I'm sorry, Ryan. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, do you find that that purpose of why we exist uh, and and that emotional connection? Do you find that that becomes kind of the core of taking that message forward, so that now the brand can be experienced? In Absolutely. I mean, we we actually define something called a way we serve statement, which is built off of mission, vision, and values. It's built off of a brand, you know, all the brand work and architecture, and it becomes a simple message of what the core is. So, you know, Starbucks isn't in, the, isn't in the business of selling coffee. They're in the business of creating this third-place experience for people where they can come and they can savor community over a cup of coffee in a communal living room. Uh, you know, Ritz-Carlton isn't about creating a, a hotel experience. They're about creating the home of a loving parent. Uh, our brand is about treating our customers as if they are beloved bosses who we want to create an experience which is relaxed, which is playful, and which is successful. These, I think every brand that knows who it is articulates so clearly that any employee in any moment can ask themselves, what would a loving parent do? 
What would someone do if they were trying to, you know, respect a, a boss that was beloved to them? How would they act right now in the way they're serving the person in front of them? Well, beautiful examples. And uh, certainly it's uh, a testament to the, to the phrase, it's not what you do, but that really is, I think, the ultimate connection with the employees and the brand and then the customers as well. Yeah, you know, all this converges, and it really is pretty exciting to see somebody who has a clear vision, who has a good mission, vision, and values, who understands their purpose behind them, has the right architecture for their brand to be competitive in the marketplace, has buy-in for their employees, encourages the execution against the branded experience, measures the customer voice, uses the customer voice to refine the experience even further and dial it up even better. Those are the brands that are fun to work with. It's fun to be in those businesses. Employees like working there. Customers like being served by them. It's easier for your employees to get their work done because they're not managing complaints. Uh, they feel like they're differentiated. They feel pride in being associated with your organization, as do the customers feel proud of choosing you as a business. Joseph, we're seeing a number of uh, companies realize uh, the importance of engagement. And uh, although most brand initiatives are meant to really define the brand positioning or how they differentiate from the competition and what the value proposition is and put some clarity around that, many organizations are realizing the importance of that, the power of employee alignment and engagement. And any thoughts on how you measure where, how aligned the employees are or how you move the needle to get those employees uh, aligned and engaged? Any thoughts there? Oh, absolutely. If you have any doubt about the relevance or the science behind it, just read a book called Human Sigma. It was put out by the Gallup Group. Gallup has two metrics they use for engagement. One is the customer engagement metric called the CE11. One is the employee engagement metric called the Q12. They look at correlations between levels of engagement of employees and how much that increases the overall connectivity to customers. Uh, at the Ritz-Carlton, for example, incremental improvements in employee engagement produces substantial stickiness and spend of the external customers. This really, a slight increase in employee engagement results in millions and millions of dollars of revenues to the Ritz-Carlton. They have monetized the connection. So I don't think there's any doubt about this whatsoever. And if your employees believe in you and they feel trust in leadership and that the brand is doing what it claims to do, it's living its brand promise, you will also show greater revenues to stakeholders. And if there's any doubt about that, you want to read The Speed of Trust by Covey's Group because in it they cite a very powerful study of what happens in organizations where employees believe and trust in the ability of senior leadership to execute against the brand promise. If there's high trust, there is high shareholder value. So we're talking stockholders are going to actually make more money in brands that have high trust equity of employees. Well, Joseph, thanks for sharing a couple of those fantastic books. I've read them both, and you're right. They, they start to really bring forth the idea to achieve ROI through the process like this, which is often one of the questions we get asked. How can I measure this? How can I prove it's going to be effective? How will it work? So thanks for sharing for these, uh, these two books. Joseph, we're almost out of time. i got room for one final question, uh, and maybe you could just uh, conclude by sharing with our listeners any uh, final thoughts, lessons that you have uh, learned through uh, your experiences or written about in your number of books and, and that you can help our listeners move their brand forward and, and really achieve this total customer experience? 
I say that brand is really what people say about you when you're not around, uh, and you have to know what brand you want to be so you can have them start saying that story to one another in the socially wired world in which we live. So I, I'm a big advocate of doing a lot of quality brand research with very talented brand partners like you guys. Uh, I think once you have it clearly defined, you have to make sure you're executing against the brand, particularly at high-value touch points in the customer or client journey. So you probably need some experts like what we do um, to come out there and make sure that you are aligned in the key deliverables across your value landscape. And beyond that, love on your people, love on your customers, and this is fun to be in the world of business. I don't care how complicated people make it out or how negative it sounds in the news headlines. I love being in the business world. I think it's dynamic and exciting, and I'm so blessed each and every day to get a chance to do it with people like you, Ryan. Well, Joseph, I appreciate your time today, and I hope our listeners uh, go to your website and, and or buy your books. I think there are tremendous lessons to be learned. And So if people have questions of you or, or wanted to reach out to you, uh, what's the be- is your website the best way to, uh, to reach you? Website's great. It's uh, josephmichelli.com, J-O-S-E-P-H-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I.com. All right. Joseph, thanks for your time today. Terrific insights, and look forward to the next time we have an opportunity to work together. Same here. Well, that concludes our show for today. Listening to another edition of Branding Business with Rika Spared. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandingbusiness.com. Until our next show, stay focused. You've been listening to Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. To hear more, simply visit our website, brandingbusiness.com, or tune in next week to learn how you, too, can build your brand and move your business forward. Brought to you by Rikus Baird.